I am the compulsive overreader, bulimic, and restrictor. Hi. Thank you so much, Tammy, for asking me to speak today. It's an honor and a privilege to speak at an OA meeting. I really love this program because um, it saved my life. And that's not the re only reason that I love it, though. But um, considering what I came into this program with, I'm very indebted to this program. I work a very strong program so that I stay in fit spiritual condition on a daily basis. Um, so just to qualify, I have been an Overeaters Anonymous for four years. Uh, my current abstinence a little over two years. My abstinence is no binging, no purging, and no restricting. Um, and, you know, that abstinence looked different for me um, kind of in the beginning than it does now because I ended up having to define what a binge was for me, which I didn't do in the beginning, and that was really important for me to do, to actually have, like, guidelines over what that was going to look like. Um, and so because my highest weight is about 50 pounds heavier than I am now, I'm 5'2", I weigh about 115 pounds, I've also been 10 pounds lighter than I am now, but to get to be 50 pounds heavier than I am now, my binging was very, very extreme. I was eating um, like 5,000 to 10,000 calories a day at my bottom. So what a binge is for me, what I define in my abstinence is pretty broad. Like I have to pretty much go for it. Um, and that has really worked for me. But the thing is that I pretty much don't overeat at all today, even though that definition of my abstinence is pretty broad. And then of course I don't throw up and I don't starve myself. Um, yeah, so I'm really grateful to be here today again. And it's such an honor just to be in this program and to experience the miracles that the program has given me um, through the time that I've been here. Um, but, you know, I think really that I was born with a problem with food. I have a lot of food allergies, and so food never affected me the way it affects a lot of people. Um, and I remember from a very young age uh, self-soothing with food. And my parents worked at night, and so I just, you know, I, w I came home and I would watch TV and I basically would have like a big bowl of some kind of starch with some kind of fat on it, like cheese and butter with pasta or rice or something like that. And that felt really safe, you know, and, and it just, that's kind of how I went through my childhood. Um, and, but I wasn't overweight. I was an active child. Um, and, and so it wasn't, it didn't really seem like a problem, but I do, you know, uh, like, can we say foods in this meeting? Okay. So Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory has these things called scotchies, and they are like three marshmallows on a stick dipped in like really thick caramel and then dipped in chocolate. And like one of them makes you sick, and one my friends would eat one and be like, oh, and I would have like two or more, right? So like this is just not normal behavior uh, as a child. I would eat sandwiches the size of footballs as a 10-year-old. You know, it's just not what an average 10-year-old does. But for me, like it seemed okay. I don't know. Um, but I actually I'm kind of grateful for my food allergies, very honestly, because I stopped eating gluten and dairy when I was 14 and I stopped eating sugar when I was like 19. And that was really before my eating disorder got really, really bad. And so for me, if I had been eating those foods, you know, I couldn't stop eating like corn, potato and rice, right? So like if I were eating those foods in that time, I don't even know what it would have looked like. Um, and I'm just very grateful for that, honestly. And it helps keep my food pretty clean today also. Um, 
But so my eating disorder, you know, in high school, I kind of, my weight was always kind of up and down. I think for most of high school, I was probably like about 10 pounds heavier than I am now. But I thought I was fat. Um, most of the girls that I went to school with were very thin. And, you know, they would just have like an ice blended for lunch or something like that, a sugar-free one or whatever. It's not, it's not a lot of food. Um, and so I would go through phases of like eating too much and eating too little. But, you know, probably stayed within a, about a 10-pound weight range. Um, but I also like always really loved food and a lot of my friends were men or boys in high school and I would eat the same amount as they did. So like, you know, a five two girl eating the same amount as sixteen year old boys who were like really growing. I stopped growing when I was twelve. <laughs> right? So that was not like what I needed to be doing, but it was what I did. Um and really my eating sort of really started taking off my senior year in high school. Um and that year I started not going to school because I was like smoking weed and binging and just like numbing out. Um, and I would have been the valedictorian of my high school, but I started doing that. And I'm lucky I graduated and I, I, my grades weren't even horrible because I was able to kind of like keep up with the work on my own without going to school. And because my grades were still okay, they let me graduate. Um, and I did get into a pretty elite college on the East Coast. And at that school, I failed out the first semester because I couldn't handle the pressure of what the school was like. And, and I couldn't do what I saw other people around me doing, uh, which was really just, you know, studying all the time, partying all the time, and not sleeping very much. And I have a really sensitive body. Um, and it was very hard for me to accept that I had to do my life in a different way than I saw most of the other people around me doing it. Um, and that was really hard for me. So I failed out and I came home and uh, I was very demoralized and my solution was to keep eating. And then I had a boyfriend who really, really wanted me to be thin and wanted me to be blonde and wanted me to be tall <laughs> and have straight hair and I have brown curly hair. Um, and so I tried to fit into that too. And so like in the summer, I would like starve myself and throw up and exercise so much and, you know, dye my hair and straighten my hair and just try and be this thing that I thought was going to make me happy. And it didn't. Um, and then I did go back to that college um, and had more success because, you know, I, I was able to keep it together a little bit more. But what keeping it together looked like was really I was so obsessed with my body um, and I was restricting and I was probably throwing up some. Um, and but because I wasn't in a food coma, I could keep my grades at a level that I could stay in school. Um, but then again, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is for me with disease. It, it was really like six months I would be binging and then like six months I would be restricting and over-exercising and throwing up. And so after about six months of that, I, I no longer had the, you know, I couldn't white knuckle the restriction anymore. Um, and I was binging again and then, uh, I almost failed out again. And then I went back to the school and had a trauma happen at the school. And after that, it was just like a free for all with the food. And I just couldn't stop eating, and I, I ended up failing out again. Um, and uh, I remember I would just, you know, like be in my dorm room and just be ordering in takeout and just binging until I would pass out. 
um, and you know the guy I was dating at my school he would, wouldn't see me for a week at a time and I'd be like 10 pounds heavier a week later you know and it's just like it was so horrible and I couldn't stop you know and I, I didn't and I still didn't think I had an eating disorder either um, and you know in that time also when I would like be restricting um, I remember things like I would eat I, one day I ate just like a package of tuna and a rice cake and I gained weight that day because I was starving my body so much that it was like holding on to whatever I gave it. But what my head said to me was, I guess I have to eat less. And so I failed out again. I came home and I was again demoralized. And I started going to um, community college in this area. I'm from Los Angeles. Um, and you know it, it wasn't the school it was me it wasn't that it was such a rigorous school I mean that was it was more pressure but I had the same issues at a community college that was easier than my high school um, because I had I had a disease and I didn't know I had a disease but I did know I was in serious trouble because I was going to fail out of the community college and I was not going to be able to transfer um, and this time I told someone what was happening instead of just failing out I told my parents and they made me come to OA. Um, my parents are therapists, so they know a lot about the 12-step uh, world. They've worked um, you know, in different uh, recovery uh, households and stuff like that, recovery programs. Um, and actually, they had wanted me to come three years earlier, and I came to one meeting, and there was like three people, and they were all older, and I was just like, I am not doing this. And it hadn't gone bad enough, you know, but because I was going to fail out of school again and, and not going to be able to graduate college again, um, I, I really, I, I, I told on myself that time. But, and so I came to OA, but I really just wanted to, like, stop failing out of school and stop putting on weight, and I didn't really care about the spiritual message. Um, very much and I would do things like lie to my sponsor and just like say I wasn't throwing up when I was throwing up because I only cared if I was binging um, and and I ended up transferring to a four-year school and that was when I hit my bottom it was just really horrible I was like I said I, I was stealing food because I was eating so much that I couldn't afford the amount of food that I was eating um, especially with like my food allergies I can't just eat like anything so a lot of it was like whole foods um, which is not cheap obviously and I just and it was so part of the whole disease you know it was like the excitement of like getting away with the stealing I never ever got caught I was pretty good at it um, and it was just this cycle of like getting all this food bringing it back to the place that I was living isolating in that in the room that I was in in a house with a bunch of other people and eating myself into a food coma till like my stomach was so distended that I was in pain that I couldn't roll over that I couldn't breathe um, I had completely lost the ability to restrict it all I just couldn't keep it together whatsoever and the second that I was out of that food coma and I woke up I would start eating again and self-care like went out the window you know like I wasn't showering I wasn't brushing my teeth enough it was just like horrible and I still couldn't stop and I was going to fail out of that school, too. And I just couldn't believe this was happening again. Like, you know, from going from being could have been the valedictorian of my high school to like, this is what my life looks like. I just couldn't believe it over and over and over again. And I so many times thought that I was getting it together. And I never was because, like I said, my getting it together was starving myself. Right. Like that's not getting it together. But that's what my head thought. Um, 
And and so what really happened was in that bottom, I became suicidal and I had stopped communicating with anyone for a few weeks and it just was me and food. Um, and I couldn't, I just couldn't stop and I hated myself and I, I didn't, I knew I couldn't live the way I was living anymore and that if I was going to keep going in that direction, I was going to kill myself because it was just too painful and um, I, I knew that there were a lot of good things in my life and I couldn't be part of them because I was so consumed by this disease. Um, and, and even though I didn't get abstinent right after that happened, a few months later I did get my first bout of abstinence. Like it was kind of like slowly coming out of that just like pit of despair, pit of like food, you know, coma 24 seven. Um, but I did come out of it and, and I'm grateful that a higher power, which I didn't know of or believe in when I, at that time, had already led me to OA before this happened because if I had been in that space and didn't know that there was a solution for me or that I had seen other people who had similar stories who had recovered, I might have, I might not be here today, you know? And so that feels like a higher power doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Because um, again, I didn't really want to be in OA, but I I started getting abstinent, and and that abstinence um, didn't last that long because I wasn't really working the steps, and I just kind of did what I wanted to do. Um, but but I did get physical abstinence, um, and I worked steps one through three probably three times that first year, and never made it past that. Um, and I lost my abstinence a couple times, but my life was a lot better because I was not in the food, you know, and, and for whatever reason, like I, you know, once that day came where I was just sobbing on the phone to my mom and saying, I can't do this anymore. Um, I was, I've never been like that again since that day. And that day was February 13th, 2014. So my current abstinence is January 26, 2015, because I did lose my abstinence a couple times in that first year. Um, and why I attribute the fact that I now have over two years of abstinence is because I've worked the steps all the way through. And I'm now working them all the way through a second time. I'm working a 10th step. Um, uh, the, the first time I did the steps through the OA 12 and 12, and this time I've done them through the big book. And they're both very different experiences for me. But um, I'm really grateful for the big book today. Like, I love that book so much. I think it's so awesome. Um, and it, the things that it has opened up in my life have just it's been amazing, you know. And um, what really what my program has to look like for me today is that I have to stay in the middle of the program to be successful, to, to be happy, joyous, and free. Because my disease is still very strong in me. You know, it, it, it uh, resides in my head. So even though I'm physically abstinent, if I don't have a daily spiritual reprieve to like get my head right, I'm not going to be happy, joyous and free. Even if I'm physically abstinent, I'm going to be like a dry drunk and I don't want that life either. So I work really hard in this program to to stay in fit spiritual condition. Um, and, you know, for me, like I genuinely do not struggle with food today. So from going from, you know, either based like starving myself or eating five, 10,000 calories a day to I just genuinely don't struggle with food. That is a miracle. You know, like that is not something that I could have done on my own whatsoever. Um, and it's because of this program and it's because of seeking a higher power. Um, and and that connection too developed for me slowly over the four years that I've been in program. You know, my morning routine in the beginning 
was, you know, five minutes or something like that. I would read for today and, and meditate for a few minutes, and then I would meditate for 15 minutes. And, um, and then, you know, and prayer, because I, I do, do not come from a religious background, felt very strange to me, and I just didn't really want to do it. Um, I would recite the, like, serenity prayer and third step prayer in my head, but beyond that, I didn't really do it. And uh, maybe over like the course of the last year, um, I've really integrated uh, prayer into my pra- daily practice, and it helps me so much. And and that for me has been a lot of what has strengthened my individual connection with the higher power of my understanding. Um, and you know, I call that higher power God most of the time now. But again, I'm not religious, and you know, for me, like God can be anything for anyone. But for me, it's usually love and, you know, things that come from my heart and and some kind of like energy in the universe that when I'm connected to my heart, I'm in this flow and I'm not fighting against life and things are just coming to me um, and I'm not having to force things to happen. And what my experience really is, is that if I'm trying to make something happen or I'm trying to like figure something out. Um, and it's just not happening for whatever reason, and it's not a bad thing, then I know that I'm not in God's will for me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can relate to just being put off by the God word coming into this program, um, but I just encourage anyone to keep an open mind about it because I think it really can develop into whatever you need it to be. And for me, this this connection is indispensable in my recovery like I have to do my prayer and meditation and spiritual reading practice every day if I want to feel good because I still have the brain that got me into the program Um, and and that brain can sometimes wake up in a good place but a lot of the time it wakes up restless irritable and discontent and I need that time with the higher power to connect to my heart to you know ask for selfish self-centeredness to be taken away from me all these things um, and really just be still and quiet to get in a place where I can move out into the day and feel good about myself. And, and it amazes me the difference in the person I am when I, if I don't do that or if I put it off till later in the day. I, I'm reactive, you know, I'm irritable, I um, am resentful really easily, everything's about me, I can't really let things go that I don't like, that don't go my way. Um, and when I do do it, you know, when, when right now I live with my family, I have a chronic illness that has been pretty debilitating for me and, and has really made it so that my life has not looked what I want it to look like. Um, but even through working this program, like I'm developing a level of acceptance around that too, right? So it took me nine years to graduate college and because um, of the eating disorder. Um, and when I did, though, I graduated with straight A's, which was a miracle after failing out so much. Um, and, and my plan was that last year, thank you, last year I was going to apply to graduate school when I finished college. And, and I wasn't able to do that because of my illness. Um, and so I'm living at home with my parents. I'm about to be 28 years old. Um, and, and so they can annoy me a lot, right? <laughs> like I live with my parents and I'm almost 28. Um, and so really, like, I have to do my morning routine before I go downstairs and interact with them. You know, like, I, and they don't deserve to get my irritability because they haven't really done anything. It's like, 
it's just this part of me that for whatever reason, you know, just is so reactive. And so I really have to take that time in the morning to, to really get right with God and to just center myself and, and ask God to help me be who God wants me to be, to be the person I've always wanted to be, which is really what I believe this program is helping me do on a daily basis, is to start becoming a person I've always wanted to be but had no idea how to be. And, and I had no idea that what I always needed was a spiritual solution. Right. I, I really ascribe to that, like my life would start when I was able to keep my weight down. Um, and part of the thing that's so interesting for me is that usually the weight that I would start myself and like overexercise and throw up down to is the weight I am now. And I currently have not exercised for almost two years because of my illness. I eat three meals a day that are almost, you know, always nutritious, but I don't deprive myself of things if I want them. But I genuinely don't want them most of the time because it doesn't feel as good in my body, you know, and, and I like eating in a way that makes me feel good, not just about like some flavor in my mouth that's going to be very short lived and then I'm going to feel heavy and whatever <laughs> it is. Um, and so, yeah, I'm like, I'm just so grateful for what this program has given me. Um, and, and the step work just takes me deeper and deeper all the time, you know, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And um, this program, Working the Steps, got me into another program, and that's really influencing my life a lot as well. And I'm just, I, it blows me away, you know, and, and I love going to meetings, and I love working with my sponsees, and I love just being part of this program and seeing other people recover and, and people achieve things they thought they could never achieve and that usually the weight loss or whatever it is is the least uh, least exciting part of most people's stories, you know. And for me, it's been the spiritual shift that has happened in the way that I'm able to really look at life so differently than, than when I came in, you know, from a very negative person who was such a victim and, and the world was just not treating her well to really being able to take whatever life gives me in stride, not all the time, obviously, like I don't do any of this perfectly, but for the most part, I can. And, and when I need help getting there, I have so much help, right? Because I have so many connections in this program. I can go into my phone and I have like 100 people that I feel comfortable calling, which is amazing because I was isolated in a room, like not talking to anyone, binging on 10,000 calories a day, you know, like that was my life. And and now I can accept that like I had to wait longer to go to graduate school, that I have to live with my parents right now. I don't have a career like that. Those are things that hurt my ego. But if I'm going to fight against them, it hurts more. You know, it hurts my heart. Um, and I just accepting where I am, like trying to strive for acceptance on a daily basis really changes who I'm able to be, what I'm able to do. Um, and for me, the, I really love that there's this line in the uh, 12th step of the AA 12 and 12 that talks about like what a spiritual awakening is. And, and in short, it kind of just says that it's the ability to do, think, and feel things that you would not have been able to do before. And that is my experience in this program, that I'm able to be a person that I couldn't be before, you know, do things that I couldn't do before. Even just like very recently, I had a spiritual experience around my health that was very eye-opening for me. It was just a week ago or a week and a half ago that I really finally took in the power of destructive emotion in keeping me sick. And that when I really just like do not entertain how bad my body feels physically, 
and, and really just put my thoughts into how I feel, like spiritually, how can I help someone else, my body feels better physically. And I'm physically able to do things that when I'm in self-pity, when I'm in fear that, you know, I'm, this is never going to change, that I'm always going to be in pain, that I'm always going to be chronically exhausted, whatever it is, um, that, you know, like I'm able to do a lot more when I put all of that aside and, and connect to God, connect to my heart and reach out to someone else so that I'm not thinking about myself. The self-centeredness that the big book makes really clear is our downfall, you know, and I don't think I thought at all that I was a selfish, self-centered person when I came in here um, and, and through working the steps and thank you and through working the steps. Um, I really found that I'm still going to be that person if I don't do this on a daily basis. So, like I said, I'm extremely grateful for this program and very grateful to be here. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Thank you. Uh, can you talk about your experience with steps six and seven? Sure. Um, so, oh, yes, thank you. I'm going to forget to do that, just so you know. Um, so the question was, can I talk about my experience with steps six and seven? Um, so the first time I did the steps, I did them out of the OA 12 and 12, and I really, um, I, I really wrote a lot about each character defect, and really, you know, like how it had served me, looking at, you know, why it developed in my life, how it served me, um, but then how it started hurting me, and how it was no longer useful in my life, and. And that really helped me let go of some of them because I really, you know, I don't want to hurt myself anymore most of the time. Sometimes the disease in my head wants me to. But um, so that was part of it. And, and, then, uh, and then just kind of like letting them happen as they do because, you know, I, I, I kind of feel that with, as with the eating, the character defects are we hit a bottom with them. And then we're able to start letting them go. But that doesn't necessarily happen in our time. It happens in God's time for us. Um, and so some of my character defects are still very, you know, much present. And I would like them to not be there anymore, obviously. They cause me pain. Um, but that, you know, I just, I have to do my part and then let God's timing be God's timing, basically, is my experience. Is that, like, if as I'm not trying to force something to be removed from me, it's usually removed a lot faster than if I'm really trying to like make this happen um, and one that really stands out for me is perfectionism and, and it was also part of why I kept failing out of school for so long because if I couldn't do it perfectly I couldn't do it at all um, and I, I it, my whole life was kind of like that you know what I mean and and so but over time the perfectionism has lessened and usually in ways of like God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because some of them was, you know, when I became ill, I couldn't be as perfect. I couldn't have the perfect workout regimen anymore. I couldn't put the same amount of effort into my studies anymore. I had to just let good enough be good enough sometimes. 
Um, and and then the second time doing six and seven, I just I, I did it the how it is in the big book of like you put your big book up on the shelf basically, and like you go through your character defects and and ask God to remove them and say the seven step prayer. And there's not much there wasn't much work involved, but from doing that and then moving on through eight and nine, a lot of them have started lessening. And and so really it's. It's not as much about what I'm doing. It's about, for me, working this program and letting God's magic happen and my character defects, you know, slip away over time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your sharing. Um, you said you were brought up non-religious. So mm-hmm. was, uh, um, your transition to a higher power, you broke uh, the idea of a higher power. you talk about that a little bit the, from when you first came into the program and how it evolved? Mm-hmm. So the question was, I had mentioned that I did not grow up a religious and he would like me to talk about how my relationship with a higher power came to evolve through the beginning of the program to now. Um, so I was not brought up religious, but my parents are spiritual. Um, and one of the things that was kind of defining for me in the beginning of it was that my mom had stage three breast cancer when I was in high school. And I believe that part of why she lived and her life was saved is because she developed a very strong spirituality at that time. So I had seen the power of spirituality and what was possible when people, you know, took that into their life. Um, But it really, in the beginning, like I I think I had mentioned, I just kind of did five minutes of meditation or something, and that was it. And then it it was like 15 minutes of meditation, and then that was kind of it. You know, I would just do that in the morning, and then there wasn't much of a spiritual connection beyond that. Um, And then when I got really sick, which was in the first year that I was abstinent, I just had this moment where, like, I saw that this, that that is what was supposed to happen to me, and I just felt the presence of a higher power working in my life, and that that higher power was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, because the way I'd been running my life in the beginning of absence was just, like, to the extreme, and it wasn't sustainable, and basically, I feel like, you know, when people get sick, they say, like, God telling you to slow down. My chronic illness was, like, slow way down, you know what I mean? Um, and and so a lot of it was I, I had to learn how to be okay with myself, you know, and, and spending quiet time alone, not being able to fill all my time with activity. And, and so in those moments, because it's so uncomfortable, especially when you're first getting into recovery, to be alone with yourself, like that was, if I'm alone, I'm going to eat. Like, what else am I going to do? You know what I mean? Um, that I had to cultivate that connection. And, and so then through working the steps and then the spiritual practice kind of developed into more prayer and medi- more meditation and then praying, like earnestly praying a lot of the things that are in the big book, but really just asking God to help me like be kind and loving and, and tolerant and, and patient with people and, um, you know, to take away self-pity and fear, all these things that block me from being able to be the kind of person that I want to be and the kind of person that is going to be of use to a higher power. Um, And then also really the literature really helped develop my spirituality as well. Like daily I read three daily readers and the big book. Um, And whenever I'm working a step, I'm reading that step out of maybe like five different books with step work in it to a certain extent. Um, and, and really seeing that when I do all these things, there's so many God shots in my life. And, um, and that, that, that like leads me to believe in the presence of a higher power more and more and more because all these things start happening in my life, you know, on a daily basis now that were never there. I couldn't see them, you know, before I was doing this. 
And so I just put my faith in that I just keep taking the actions that I've been told to take and my life gets better and these things keep happening that I could never have made happen on my own. And so that is where my faith comes from is that it's just like I, I it's very clear to me that I wanted these things and couldn't make them on my own. So then when I started seeking a higher power, they started coming into my life. Right. And so to me, that's the undeniable presence of a higher power. Uh, the question is, how do I sponsor newcomers? Well, when I broke my abstinence two years ago, I did a 90 and 90 to get back on track. And so when I when someone who's new or basically anyone asks me to sponsor them, I tell them they have to do a 30 and 30. Um, and I tell them I did a 90 and 90. So if I can do that, you can do a 30 and 30. Um, and that immediately, like if they're not willing to do that, then I feel I'm not the right sponsor for them. Um, and I work a very strong program, you know, and uh, I tell them that, that I'm going to require certain things of them. And it's not like I'm going to drop them immediately, but like if you don't want to work hard, I'm not really the right sponsor for you um, because I work really hard at this program. And that's why I have what I have. And I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to want what someone has but not be willing to do even like half of what they do. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's kind of how I work with them. But also, you know, learning how to give tough love, but also being like very gentle with them at times as well. And like knowing when is a good time to bring up something that's difficult for them to look at and when they just need to be listened to and to be encouraged that like it's going to be okay and that you're doing a good job because I think most of us are a lot harder on ourselves than we need to be um, and and taking them through the steps pretty quickly you know like at least the first three steps we, we I don't let them like take their time on it it's not a long process you know like a couple months maybe and then you're on to step four because I don't Personally, I don't see a point in just like sitting on step work. You know, the miracle happens through doing the step work. And so, you know, my direction, I'm finishing the 12 steps right now in eight months. So I'm having them do it in about a year. That's kind of how I do it. Um, how did you know when you were ready to be a sponsor? How did I know when I was ready to be a sponsor? Well, the first person who took me all the way through the steps, her sponsor direction was that when you've completed steps five, basically, you can sponsor. So at that time, I had maybe eight months of abstinence. Um, and so I, then I started raising my hand to be able to sponsor. And I didn't get any sponsees until I had about a year. And that felt good for me. That felt like about a good timeline. Um, and I don't know. I, I really feel like God brings you people when you're ready for them, you know. So I don't really think I was ready in those first few months that I was available to sponsor, to sponsor, and I didn't get sponsees then. Um, and then with my sponsees, you know, I have them at least complete step five, but also have six months of abstinence. Um, how do you approach reading the Okay. The question was, how do I approach resentments that come up in my life today? So there are a few different ways. The first is to pray for the person. That, that was part of my most current step work, actually, is on page 552 in the big book. There is a, the whole page is basically about praying for someone you resent. And it says, pray for them for two weeks, and the resentment will be lifted, and you'll come to see that you genuinely want good things for them. Some people don't need two weeks. Some people need more than that, you know. 
but um, definitely praying for people really helps. And part of my meditation practice, I do, I do two different meditations, and I do them every other day. And one of them has a place that I pray for someone who I'm having a hard time with. And so that keeps me, like, feeling open-hearted to people that I'm having a hard time with praying for them, you know. And it's hard to pray for someone and keep hating them. Um, and then the other thing is that my most recent 10 step work is from the big book as an action step, like not a written nightly inventory. And it's helping me so much. Um, and what that part of the big book says is that when selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear crop up, you take four actions immediately as soon as you notice they're happening. Um, and the first is that you ask God to remove it immediately. And the second is that you tell someone what has happened, but you don't go on to this long rant of why you're resentful, just like a very short thing of, this is what happened, I'm resentful, I'm just turning it over to you, end of conversation. Then if you need to make an amends, you make an amends, and then you immediately turn your thoughts and actions to someone you can help uh, in some way, inside or outside a program. Um, and when I take those four actions and when I pray for people I resent, I don't really resent them anymore. How did I gain my absence the first time? I just hit such a bad bottom. Um, I, I was just so miserable, and I, I became surrendered because of it. You know, and, and even though, so I would say, like, November 2013 is when, for me, like, it looks like the bottom when I became suicidal. The abstinence didn't start until February 2014. Because I, you know, it was kind of like I would, I would surrender and then I would take it back a little bit again. But really, kind of what ended up happening um, was that it was just like I was going to keep failing out of school. And what my parents had told me was that they weren't going to pay for my college if I kept doing what I was doing, and I didn't have the money to pay for my college, right? And and so, and it was just the misery. It was that you know when when I would get a few days or a few weeks of abstinence. Um, my life was so much better, and then when I would go back into the food, I was instantly miserable, instantly hated myself. I had no life. I was lying. I was sneaking. I was hiding, you know, stealing, whatever it was, and it just felt so bad, you know, that, that like I said, on February 13th, 2014, I had this last binge, and I was so demoralized, and I called my mom, and I was sobbing, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And it took that, you know, for me to do it. But I, I can't really say what it was. It was making myself miserable again and again and again enough that I was just done, you know. How do you define when you know it's God's will for you? The question is, how do I define when I know it's God's will for me? I mean, you know... Self-will gets wrapped up into what my disease wants me to think God's will is sometimes. Um, like I said before, I think part of it is if I'm trying to make something happen and it's just not happening, that's not God's will for me. And I like the thing of there's like th God has three answers. Um, yes, yes, but not yet. And no, because I have something better for you. And, and really what I've seen is when things I want to happen aren't happening, um, this because there's been something better for me and and also that um you know if i really sit in prayer and meditation i can feel what is god's will for me and what is not i have this experience of like when i'm in self-will my body tightens up and i become like anxious and um and i just like i don't feel good and i have that 
you know, kind of like activated energy that's just like bubbling inside of me. And then if I am and in the flow of God and just like in the current of the energy of the universe, um, I, I don't have that pressure pushing against me and things just kind of happen more easily. Um, and, and, and then I don't have that anxiety in my body and I just feel way more relaxed and I feel more taken care of, like I'm going to be okay. Um, and yeah, just, and I have to do that a lot through prayer and meditation. And so that helps me a lot. Um, thanks for your share. With your chronic illness, do you experience anxiety around that, worrying that it's going to get worse, you're not going to manage things, and if so, how do you work your program? So uh, the question was with my chronic illness, do I have anxiety or like fear around if it's going to get worse? How am I going to manage it? Definitely. Um, and, and I think like I talked about this, that when I'm in that place of the fear and the self-pity and the anxiety, like I physically feel worse. Right. And so a lot of how and this is pretty new for me, too, um, of learning how to manage those feelings around it is not entertaining the thoughts like I see the thoughts come in that are trying to take me down and I'm just like I'm not going there today you know what I mean I'm just not going there and I turn my thoughts to something else and I connect to my heart and then a smile comes back on my face Um, but what was happening a lot before very recently is like I would spend a couple hours in bed just like crying and self-pity because I felt so crappy and um, you know Am I ever going to get better? Am I ever going to be able to have a life that really looks like I want it to look like? Um, And really experiencing how bad that was making me feel physically, right? Like worse than before I was in that uh, mental space. And, And in those moments when before I was really just able to say, I'm not entertaining this thinking, um, I had to reach out to other people in program because I wasn't able to get myself out of it. And so I had to reach out to trusted people in my life to help direct me back into the solution or be like, I'm not feeling well enough to drive myself to a meeting. Can I get someone else to drive myself to a meeting? Learning to ask for help, you know, and and not feeling like I have to do everything on my own or I'm a lesser person. Um, And but now it's really just not going there. Just it feels horrible and I don't want to live in as a miserable person. Right. And so I'm just not allowing myself to do it in the same way. But but that was not an option for me until about a week and a half ago. Right. So and it was through a spiritual experience that I gained that insight as well, that I was really able to put into practice that I'm not going to think in or, or feel in a destructive way. Thanks for letting me share.